G'day, it's Phil here. You might not know this, but one of my favorite books of all time is We're Going on a Bear Hunt. I love the sense of excitement. I love the sense of anticipation. I love the idea of fellowship, of people coming together with an idea and a vision and courage to step forward and up and see what will happen along the way and grow in character as well as getting there wherever there is. Will Stubbley and Saxon Phipps are perfect, perfect people to talk to about going on the bear hunt of life. They're the co-founders of Year 13, a remarkable program that's doing amazing things in education and as an entity in its own right. I'm excited. I can't wait. Let's go. Before you start your conversation with today's Game Changers special series guest, Phil, can you share with our audience a little insight into our special series sponsor? Thanks, Adriana. Of course I can. Man Cave Academy provides unique training programs that are designed to share the Man Cave's experience from working with over 20,000 teenage boys across Australia. Learn more at themancave.life. That's themancave.life. Let's go. Good morning, boys. How are you going? Good, thanks, Phil. <laughs> Lovely to have you with us. So, Saxon, introduce yourself, please, and then Will, introduce yourself to our listeners, please. Ah, well, Phil, appreciate having us on this morning. Um, yeah, so my name's Saxon Phipps. I'm, I'm the co-founder of an edutech platform called Year 13. It's something that both Will and I have been working on for the past 10, 11 years. Um, it started basically in, in the, the backyard of my, my parents' place, as all good startups do. And as 19 and 21-year-olds, safe to say that we didn't really know what we were doing, but passion and, and the purpose of what we do with Year 13 really drove us on our mission and the journey today. And we're really fortunate now, 10 years down the track, we've been able to mitigate and beat a lot of the startup statistics that with uh, you know how many startups and businesses fail in those first few years and um yeah it's a it's a real privilege to to be speaking and be invited onto podcasts like this saxon it's a great pleasure to have you thanks for that introduction how about you will yeah thanks phil uh yeah i guess saxon i've covered most of it um will stubbley one of the the other co-founder of year 13. yeah i think saxon i covered it we've both got really different stories of how we got to where we are but in a nutshell i think sax summarized year 13 pretty well <laughs> There we go. Well, we're really, really interested in learning from your story, and I'm sure that all the Game Changer listeners are going to love getting to know you guys in the same way that I'm really going to get to love to know you guys over the next three weeks. Um, we're going to we're going to follow a little bit of a structure. We're going to talk about going on the adventure this week, and then next week we'll look at building the experience, and then finally we'll talk about designing the future. And this is a lovely way of getting your story together as and 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 sort of aligning it to what we've been looking at for this entire Game Changer series which is about a flourishing future and designing for a better normal. So let's talk about going on the adventure. Who's going to kick off? Who's going to tell me how Year 13 began? Even better, why don't, why don't you tell me your stories about how you grew up, how you met, how you connected with each other, and then let's, then let's get into Year 13, shall we? Um, Will, I noticed you pointing at Saxon, so you can go first. <laughs> so, yes, as I mentioned, Saxon and I both had, had pretty different uh, experiences to how we got to together with Year 13. So one of the interesting things is Saxon and I actually went to the same school, but uh, different uh, different year groups. And we obviously knew each other, crossed, crossed paths a lot, but weren't really close or, or necessarily friends until uh, really after school. But so 
I'll, I'll go through my story first and Sachs can sort of uh, tell his. But Saxon, I guess... if, Saxon, if you need to offer commentary to Will's story along the way, feel free to do that as well too. <laughs> yeah. I've, heard it, I've heard it enough over the past 10 years, so I can, <laughs> I can recite his and he can recite mine. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I guess growing up, I actually was one of the few people that actually thought I knew what I wanted to do. So when I was growing up, I actually wanted to be a builder. So I liked being outdoors. I surfed a lot. I still surf, but um, really liked building things. I had Meccano sets, Lego sets, to build model ships and planes and all that sort of stuff. And so I always had the intention of being a builder and that was pretty well accepted. And then I wouldn't say, yeah, I wasn't like a bad student, but yeah, I often like to sort of go surfing more than go to class. So it was sort of well accepted up, all the way up until about start of, well, really the end of year 12, because at the start of year 12, end of year 11, um, that's when I started to sort of knuckle down. And um, I guess to my parents and school surprise, ended up actually performing really well. And that's when the conversation actually changed for me because uh, it wasn't about necessarily what I enjoyed doing um, and you know what were sort of aligned to my intrinsic values and motivations. It was really about what is the right pathway to success. And so rather than going to a carpentry apprenticeship, I was very much encouraged to go to uni and do a um, civil engineering degree instead. The way it was sort of described was, um, you know, engineers and being, like being an engineer, being a builder, you know, really similar, but you get paid more being an engineer. And then, yeah, me being 17 and not really taking any time to actually go and research all the different pathways. Uh, whilst, yeah, I actually disagree that the destination is still very, very different, but the 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 journey of getting there is completely different and that's where I was you know I guess quite annoyed annoyed by when I actually got to uni so I went to uh, Sydney University and ended up studying um, civil engineering and the um, yeah I guess it sort of yeah, sounds I, weird. I, I, went, I, went, I went to Sydney <laughs> University as well too and I knew a few yeah. engineers I actually went out with a chemical engineer. Yeah. <laughs> won't hold that against you no it's um you <laughs> say so, no it was good but like look when I got there, it was just very different to what I was expecting. And I don't necessarily regret it because, you know, I've actually came out, I ended up finishing it and, you know, there are a lot of transferable skills from that baseline understanding. But just the, how lost I was in that first couple of years was was probably the biggest issue is because my expectations versus the reality I, fa I faced when I got there were, were really different. So as soon as I got out of school, because I went straight from school to uni, um, I was a bit disassociated being like, well, you know, I thought uni was meant to be this big party. Uh, it's meant to be fun. I was just studying all the time, trying to work out for you at maths, like all that sort of stuff. So my sort of journey straight out was a little bit, uh, a little bit rocky, but still having fun. Like, yeah, again, no sort of necessarily regrets, but where I linked up with Sachs. So Sachs actually came up with the idea of year 13 and I'll let him sort of talk about his story. But where I linked up with Sachs was uh, one of my close friends, a mutual friend of Sachs, uh, was having a particularly hard transition out of school. Unfortunately, it was getting a little bit too much for her and was getting pushed and pulled in different directions. And uh, she unfortunately actually took her own life. And so I linked up with Sachs because I knew he had this idea about Year 13 and things he could do after school. And I sort of linked up with Sachs because it wasn't just about different career pathways and all that sort of stuff. It was actually about helping people you know, deal with the trials and tribulations of becoming an adult and that sort of turbulent transitional period. So probably a good handover to Sachs to let him <laughs> explain yeah, his story. But yeah. Thank you, thank you for that, Will, and thank you for sharing it. It's it's um th that period when you come out of school at that time of your life is a really interesting one, isn't it? And it's it's a uh, it's a very challenging one. Uh, and I'm sorry to hear about your friend who took a life. Um, I know when I was 16, I was absolutely certain I was going to be an archaeologist, and then when I was 17, mm. I was certain I was going to be a barrister. 
And by the mm-hmm. time I was six weeks into first year arts law in Cars Law Lecture mm-hmm. Theatre with 500 other baby lawyers looking around mm-hmm. the room going, I don't, want, I, don't, I don't even like these people. What am I doing here? <laughs> um, and, and yeah. you know, I'd, I'd walked out of school saying the last thing in the world I ever want to do is go back to school ever again and, and mm-hmm. just kind of fell into teaching. It's, it's That period is, as you walk out of school is, is, a, is a really, really tough one and, and you have all of these ideas and then you get out into the world and you see what it's really like and the challenges around it. And, and maybe a little bit later in this conversation, I'd love to come back and talk with you both around about that notion of being lost and finding a way and, and how you try eventually connect with your sense of purpose. But maybe Saxon, you might like to share your side of the story now. Yeah. Um, so I, I guess it, it, my, my story goes back to the, the transition out of high school that I experienced um, I, I grew up in a very middle-class family in which my parents had sacrificed a lot to put me and my siblings to a, um, a, a good education or what was, you know, a, a private school education. And uh, when I was coming to the end of my tenure at high school, I knew that going straight into university wasn't going to be the best option for me. I guess the, the education system at that point and how it was kind of very, really structured didn't play to a lot of my strengths and a lot of my interests. And so going into university was just going to be a disastrous choice if I'd gone down that path. And so when I made that decision, I, um, I very much felt as I was painted with an ugly brush. It was like, oh, okay, well, if you're not doing that and that's what we do here, then uh, everything, you know, you know, vocational education and apprenticeships are over there and, and good luck to you. And I guess that, um, that really uh, made me feel quite, you know, disorientated and disheartened and, and felt quite inadequate and in, what could potentially be various pursuits. And um, I had all friends around me who thought they knew the, the answers um, as a, a lot of young people and a, a lot of us all do at that age where there's a you know, big societal pressure that you're meant to know what you're going to do at 16 or 17 for the rest of your life. And it's a difficult thing to actually be able to answer because you've had such a relatively narrow existence. And so I left the school system, um, yeah, feeling disorientated, disheartened. I felt really bad for my parents that um, they had made these sacrifices and I was coming up as, you know, essentially this, this no-hoper. And um, I ended up just leaving the school and going off and, and chucking myself into every odd job humanly possible and gaining as much experience as I could. Um, coincidentally, both Stubbs and I, you know, one of our first jobs separately, not together, was uh, being uh, British labourers and steel fixers. Um, I worked in cafes, I worked in pubs, I worked, you name it, I pretty much did it for the first 12 months out of school and um, I ended up taking myself backpacking by myself on my first overseas holiday for, for four months and as soon as I left, I, I, I just built, built this new perspective and this new um, kind of understanding of, you know, the transition of from kind of high school and, and teenage years into adulthood. And I met so many different people from different walks of life and different experiences from all, all, all around the world. And I came back and I had those, those friends of mine who had that proverbial idea of success. You know, they got better ATARs than expected or really worked to be able to go into uh, industries or disciplines that they perceived to be a, a direct route to success. But you know, in, in that first 12, 18 months after school, those people, uh, much like what you said, Phil, they, they hated the industries that they were in. They hated what they were studying. They didn't want to drop out. They were struggling to find work. They wanted to drop out, but they couldn't tell their parents about wanting to drop out. They wouldn't want to talk about it around friends. And 
um, you know, we didn't realize it at the time, but it was the start of, you know, a lot of the demise to so many people's mental health and a lot of people's happiness and not happiness in like a philosophical sense, but, you know, the, the enjoyment of their education or their enjoyment of their employment. I think on the other side to it, um, you know, both Stubbs and I had mates of ours who were the ones that were scoffed at for actually going off and doing vocational education and apprenticeships and traineeships. And these people were loving their lives because they were finishing work at three. They were going off and doing extracurricular activities like making music and um, skating and surfing and, and doing all these, this extra stuff and building new networks and earning money and having weekends and, and just doing it. But they were the ones that were still kind of stigmatized. And that for me was a big eye opener. It was like, well, why, why, why is vocational education and, and apprenticeships and traineeships really seen as this second rate option? Why is just, you know, striving towards that academic success seen as the most effective path to success? And, why don't we talk about gap years? Like, why is there nothing there which really brings all these things together? Because they all impact each other. And um, I just saw friends that really were struggling. Um, both Will and I were, were witnessing this kind of separately. And um, I, I just thought, like, why isn't there something which actually helps young people to, with this transition? Why do you, why can't you make a wrong mistake and then go back and reassess? Why is there so much stigma attached to that? And I guess that was the precedence and the idea behind year 13. And um it's quite poetic. I was sitting in my last ever assembly, about to graduate, going into the, you know the fear of the unknown, no plans, no no real idea as to what I was doing. And my deputy headmaster at the time, she she said the term. She goes, you know, you guys are going to what is known as year thirteen. It's a year of discovery. It's a year to be able to take gap years. It's a year to be able to go and get a job. Some of you will go to university, and that just st stuck with me. And so that was where kind of the initial idea was, and. It was fortunate to, um, you know, Stubbs and I obviously knew of each other and had, you know, interactions and many different parties together and started talking about it all. And um, that was the, the the starting point and the foundations of, of Year 13. Thank you. There's a lot there. There's a lot there and two very, very different journeys along the way. I really appreciate your frankness. I think one of the challenges that we men have is finding models of, of people to be vulnerable enough to tell the truth about their lives and their stories. That's a very, very important thing that you've done. I want to hold the conversation where we've got it to before we go on to the formation of Year 13 because I want to talk about transition and I want to talk about what it's like to live life during transition. So if you bear with me a moment, I'll chuck a bit of theory at you and let's see how we go. So the American writer Dan Pink, when he was trying to draw together all of the contemporary thinking about motivation and engagement, of individuals back in about just over a decade now in, in his book drive he talked about three broad things he talked about mastery autonomy and purpose and says that for a human being to thrive and to be fully engaged and committed to what we would call the pathway to excellence their journey of exploration and encounter and discovery they need these three things in their lives we think with our research that it's, it's pretty normal for people to sort of do it in that sequence. So, you know, when, Will, you were talking about that idea of kind of knowing what you wanted to do, and Saxon, you talked about the idea of the pressure to know what you want to do versus whether you really got any idea whatsoever. That's the mastery piece. And mastery, I think, is largely about meeting expectations and gaining approval. 
around that of those around you. Then, then there's a piece around autonomy, which is about going off and having experiences. And then there's a piece finally around about purpose, which is about your calling or your vocation and what's really, really important to you. I want to explore some of the pieces of those there. All right. So when you talk to parents about what they want for their kids, there are some parents who are very, very set around this. I want you to do this. I want you to do this. I want you to do this. Most parents will just say, I want my children to be happy, which is a really, really unhelpful answer because happiness is only one emotion and you can't be happy forever. And searching for something that you can never achieve is actually counterproductive and at times very, very dangerous, I think. I want them to be happy, but also I want them to do this. <laughs> exactly. I want you to be happy and want you to do this and want yeah. you to do this. And we're worried about this and so on and so on and so on. Yeah. But most parents don't expect that the decision that their kids are making at the age of 16 or 17 about what they're going to do will be the decision that chooses what they're going to do for the rest of their life. That's what happens when you talk to parents. They'll sit there and they'll go, well, of course, they're only 16, 17. This is just the first step, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. When you talk to kids at 16 and 17, they feel an enormous pressure that they're expected to know and to make a decision and that it's critical and it's vital. And what's going wrong, boys? We've got a society where we've got parents saying, it's, it's just the next stage. Yes, it's very important, but we just want our kids to be happy. And we've got kids who are saying they're feeling tremendous pressure to know all the answers at a time where it's not just unhelpful, it's dangerous to put that sort of pressure on middle adolescents. What's going on? What are you seeing? What are the stories that you're seeing and experiencing? Yeah, so maybe I'll start because this is actually something we've, we've, we've researched quite heavily uh, because we see it every day. There is... The pressure on young people now is worse than it was last year and significantly worse than it was, you know, when we finished school, you know, 10, 11 years ago for me and then 13 years ago for SAC. So it's this issue that seems to be getting worse and worse at almost, at least from our perspective, this is a little bit anecdotal, is at an accelerating rate. And so this has been a big thing that we're wanting to understand is going, where is that coming from? Because to your point, you do talk to most parents and and we you know most parents would say look at the end of the day yep we want our, our, our kids to be happy um yeah they <laughs> to my little comment before often there's a little bit of nudging here and there but the pressure like in the most uh you know when we actually look at it from quantitative i don't know the stats off the top of my head but um parents aren't actually where the pressure is coming from and then we we look at well i guess it's a multifaceted problem because there is some pressure there but it's not the actual chronic problem that at least my hypothesis when we first started would be well it's coming from the parents or you know some of the other structures around the student but again you look at across there's multiple different facets of where that pressure is coming from but the largest driver is actually the, the young person themselves so yeah, like when we when we you know drill down into it going well where is that pressure from it is this macro societal pressure of comparison and thinking that you should be you know, more progressed than you are at that state. And, you know, the, the, and the thing is when you are 15, 16, 17, you think you're 24, 25, 26. And so there's this like comparison that's happening of going, well, I should be here. Look at this person that's there. So it's really hard to put your finger on exactly what it is um, because it does come from multiple different angles. But in terms of solutions and where we put the focus on is if you put the focus on the individual, because that's really, it is, it is almost a self-imposed pressure that's being driven 
if we can help them sort of understand themselves better and understand that macro environment better, that's at least where we, we're going. Because, yeah, again, we sort of thought it was going to come from the school or the parent, or, and not to say that there's no pressure there, but it wasn't as substantial as we thought when we actually looked at the data. That's, that's interesting, isn't it? So that's that combination of the internal drive to realise yourself mm. and then the external expectation of replicating the standards that are expected around you. Saxon, do we prepare young people well enough with the self-awareness that they need to manage this difficult period in their lives? Short answer, no. Long answer is coming here. I think, you know, Will touched on a really interesting point there around, around the comparison. And, you know, I think it was Theodore Roosevelt said, the comparison is the thief of joy. And our whole education system at the moment is set up by comparison because we have this metric of the ATAR in which is a, met, a, a scaling metric on an individual within their cohort. And you hear stories of different schools who will have names for different for students who may be, you know, um, the lower end on their the, the, the marks. And they're like, well, you know, it's up to you students to help raise those students' profiles or to help raise their, their grades because they're only going to drag you down. And I think that you know, this is where a massive issue comes from the current structure of the, the system is that you uh, it's all fitting within this box and you know, it's, it's killing creativity for compliance. And where I think wh where that actually stems to is that as soon as you leave the schooling system, you, are, you aren't working as an individual. You know, industry and um, labor markets are all talking about these enterprise skills and with you know, teamwork and communication and you know, creativity and critical thinking are massive parts and desired skills that the industry are looking for. But we are actually conditioning students to be not sharing answers, not sharing works, not communicating with each other, not being able to work through things and actually progress. And I think that that is one of the big issues is that it's like, no, you need to, you know, fit within your box and then go off into this wide world. And it's a completely different transition. I think when you actually look at how you can validate an individual who may be, you know, a very good at English or very good at maths or very good at creative arts or designer technology, uh, it, it's actually extracting what they are actually compelled by and what they are good at through that discipline. And Will and I often use an example that we both really like cooking. And if you were to do hospitality in year 12, firstly, it's a grade B subject. So it scales badly. That gives a negative kind of connotation and thought towards hospitality as an industry from the get-go because it's not, it's not going to help you get a better ATAR. And then when you look at it, that, you know, Stubbs and I like cooking for two completely different reasons. Like I like cooking because I'm the type of person that will just grab a whole heap of things from the pantry and the fridge and improvise something and just create something on the fly, which really kind of highlights, you know, creative thinking, critical thinking, resourcefulness. Um, it, it often leads to a um, able to take criticism and feedback and continue that cycle. But Stubbs, you know, as he mentioned, he's, he's an engineer by trade, but he's someone who likes to cook because he finds a recipe and he follows it pragmatically with a high attention to detail. And again, it's, it's uncovering all these different characteristics. But if you were to look at it in the current system and structure and how we do it, it's like, well, 
no, that's if you if you like cooking, you need to go off and be a chef. And there's no actual validation around the two reasons why we like it. Someone may like cooking because they like the fulfillment they get from giving it to someone. And that if they can recognize that, it, it leads to a, a, mo a high emotional intelligence. It means they're quite an altruistic individual, which means they're you know, an active listener and a strong communicator. But we're still not being able to do that. It's still like, well, unfortunately, that is a grade B subject. It's not contributing to this and it has that negative connotation. So it perpetuates this, the, these issues and these stigmas attached to industries. And it stops students actually pursuing things or areas of interest because of all, all those combining issues that compound into bigger ones. Yeah, I knew there was a reason why we were talking. I love cooking more than anything else, <laughs> apart from apart from my children, my dog, and music and and, and things like that. I've, I've loved cooking since I was ten years old. What do you guys like to cook? More savory. I, I don't do anything sweet, to be honest. But um, my go-to, I can make this like um, beef and Guinness pot pie which is like not actually that complicated, but you, you slow cook it, put it together, and yeah. it's just epic. So especially now it's getting a bit colder. Absolutely. Um, uh, yeah. Absolutely. What about you, Saxon? What do you like to cook? Um, uh, it, it sounds basic, but I just like the whole process. But a, a, re, a good traditional proper Sunday roast is, is probably yeah. one of my fortes. All right, all right. It's, it's, um, we're going to need to I can talk food. Yeah, 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 we could test this out. We could test this out at any at, at, at any point. Um, when I when I introduced this this episode, this first episode of our series, I I referred to um, the book we're going on a bear hunt, which as I said, it's one of my favourite books. I really really like it. It's a very clever book because it's not I'm going on a bear hunt. It's not Leo DiCaprio out there testing himself against the wilderness in in the Revenant, which is not actually how it happens in real life. That sort of that sort of lone pioneer myth is is a myth more than anything else. It's like the lone creator. We don't have lone creators. We have teams of people who do it. We go together. And the reason why we go together and the reason that makes something an adventure is that there is danger in it. It's not an adventure unless there's a risk along the way. I think part of an adventure too is that you, you, you don't have um, an exact map of what it is you think you're going to do. And even if you do have an exact map, as you discovered, um, Will, and as I discovered, when you get there, you suddenly discover that what it is that you're doing isn't what you want to be doing anyway, and it's not the direction you want to go in and where do you go and what do you do and all of those sorts of things. Um, I want to talk about a very real danger on the adventure, and that is mental health. And, and again, Will, you, you alluded to that, um, uh, or you didn't allude to it, you referred to it directly, and I think, Saxon, you, you've alluded it, to it in, in your story as well too. We know that at any given point in time, in developing nations where we've got the data on this sort of stuff now that one in five students either just has finished or is under, undertaking or is about to undertake a clinical episode of mental health problems. So if you think about that, if you're a teacher out there, there's 25 kids in your classroom, that's five kids right now who are mentally at risk right now we know further to that that by the time kids are 18 one in two will have had that episode so we know that mental health it's not a peripheral thing it's not an under the carpet thing it is a mainstream issue and we also know that the process of providing intense and at times paralyzing structure when it comes to decision making with young people where we where, where we make every decision for them and we take all the risk out of things 
for them. When we let that go and they walk out of school into the wide world, the first two years after school, particularly for boys, is really, really difficult. We know that there's significant mental health stuff going on. You've talked a little bit about it in your story. Again, you now work with kids this age all the time. What are the sorts of things that you're seeing? I think one of, one of the really interesting and kind of confronting parts of what we do is, well, not even confronting, but we run a program called The Truth Project, um, which works with students year 10, year 11, and year, and year 12. And, and it's, um, it's a program which is about really breaking down a lot of these stigmas and actually understanding quite, you know, an introspective understanding of self. And the amount of times that we've worked with, we, I went up to a school up in Queensland. Um, I won't name the school, but it was a, it's a school kind of for a lot of disengaged uh, young people who were at risk of falling into the judicial system. And we were working with a group and, you know, we had all these young men in there and they kind of had their hoodies over their head. They had earpods in, heads on the desk, you know, really not uh, engaging at all. And we, we always open up the truth uh, project with a, you know, a story of relevance. I've had, you know, and, and as Stubbs mentioned, we've had a number of friends really struggle with mental health and um, we've had friends, unfortunately, ultimately take their own lives and, by relaying this, these stories um, and personalising it for, for individuals and, and talking about, um, you know, the, the idea of what is you know, intrinsically motivating for someone and how that we are all incredibly unique and that the power that motivation actually has for a lot of young people um, is, is just, it's, it's empowering and it's an incredible thing to witness. And with working with these students, these boys, they, you know, they were so disengaged and they didn't really care. But once we uncovered, you know, one thing that they were intrinsically motivated by, you know, we, we kind of paint that question. It's like, what's one thing you'd do if you knew you couldn't fail? Or, you know, the other way of it is what would you do if money was no objects from you know, the great philosopher, Alan Watts. And, by posing that question to these young men, it, it quickly turned the conversation those guys around and uncovered that one kid was actually buying old PCs and computers and in his spare time watching YouTube videos and building his own um, computers that he was then selling on eBay for you know, 150 bucks. And I was like, have you ever told anyone that? He's like, no, like, who that's going to care? Like, like, no one cares, like, you know, this. And... By turning that conversation around, we then went on and started talking about different tech entrepreneurs who have started in that exact same process, who never had opportunity, who didn't have people around them that believed in them. So that, that idea of you know, having that motivation and an actual empowering an individual towards something of their own values and interests is a huge step. And I think that for a lot of young men, especially in that, those transitional years, there is so much pressure on them, whether it be, you know, sporting, whether it be family chat, whether it be barbecue chat. I've got my own hypothesis around the problem with the education system and how it actually sets a lot of people up for failure. And by just instill, installing that one-on-one -on -one motivation and actually empowering them, not telling them that, that, that they're right or wrong, telling them that, you know, your interest in, you know, buying old PCs, you know, for ten dollars and then reprocessing them and then actually developing and selling it is an incredible talent like it's something that 99 percent of us have absolutely no idea about and 
by the end of the truth project, you know, I had this kid coming up to me and he was writing all these ideas down and he built a business name. We had another girl who was incredibly disengaged, exact same thing. Then wanting she, we told her about how we, Harry, the other presenter, how he and I both worked in cafes for years and he ran his own coffee business for a few years. And by the end of it, this girl who was telling us to you know, fuck off and she didn't care at the start was then run, dragging us to this coffee machine so she could make us a coffee to be able to show us how she did it. And I think it's just, it's a major part that we've got in the education system. It's this whole comparison and we really celebrate the students who have that academic success and hold them up on a mantelpiece and for the other students it's just demoralizing because it's like well i'm not going to be there my subjects aren't as good as that and they then get identified as the dumb kids and they're the ones that are kind of pushed and bullied and and we've seen all that and, we, and it's all you know anecdotal jokes that we, we we kind of hear but it's it's the problem and it's the root problem and then it it stops people and it disables people from actually being able to progress outside the education system because all they've ever known is that they fail and that they're losers and that they're dumb and they can't achieve and that's where i just think there needs to be a shift in the mentality and really as stub said look at the individual and be able to be able to focus on the individual's values strengths skills interests and then actually use that as the foundations towards the their their transition apologies yeah, for the round yeah, you know it's very very powerful stories that you're sharing there um, Saxon, I think part of the challenge comes, and there's a particular type of pressure that you've described there about people who feel that they don't fit into a system which is uh, focused on a particular type of academic success. There's also the pressure felt by those who do fit, who then have to keep going and keep going and keep going to, to keep up, et cetera, et cetera. When the, the problem, as you said, is we've stopped looking at the individual and we've stopped looking at the whole person we've defined a very narrow part of it and we've over overemphasized that we've exaggerated it and then put people under a sort of pressure, which is, is crazy. Um, listening to you talk both. And, you know, we, we, we talked about that, that notion of that inner drive, didn't we will? And then the external expectation. I wonder then whether the transition is both a journey into the world to try and work out what the external expectations are, but then there has to be that journey into self. And unless we're doing that consciously with kids, and teaching them how to take that journey into self. How could they possibly manage all of these things except by trial and error? And what a terrible primary method of trying to deal with all of these complex things that, that's going on. It wouldn't be better if we were actually helping them to do it. I wonder if I can shift to talking about the notion of being lost. Because when we go on an adventure, part of the adventure is feeling lost, isn't it? Part of it is reaching a place and going, what am I doing here? Where am I? What's going on? Will, do you, do you want to talk to us about how young people negotiate that sense of being lost? I think it's actually a pretty natural continuation from what Sachs was saying. Is is and I, Sachs and I have talked about this extensively. Actually, is something I'm the most grateful for of this entire journey is helping me understand like more deeply who I am and what I actually enjoy doing. Um, and having an anchor allows you to sort of get through any sort of problem. So. Um, and what I mean by that is what I've learned is, yeah, so from the young age when I was doing from Meccano and Lego sets to like you wanted to be a builder to engineering to now running year 13 is, is having that base understanding of that. The reason why I actually like year 13, you know, you know we're, we're obviously helping people and we're you know, building a cool business and all that sort of stuff, but like it is actually the building side of it. Like that's what fulfills me. 
um, is seeing like problem solving, seeing something grow, building it, all that sort of stuff. And that's gotten me, we've, yeah, just we've gone through really tough times with, you know, from a whole bunch of different angles. And at the end of the day, the some of the best advice we've had from really impressive people that we we have in our network is it is about the journey, not the destination. And and so it's when I when to answer your question, it's like, how do you get that to the masses? Like I feel we're so lucky in a way that we've found ourselves in a business and with a partner and with the, you know, the people around us that has helped me understand that. It's like, how do we get young people to go, well, you know, to the cooking example or you know, to whatever it is, is going, what subjects do you like, but why do you like it? And you know, me being, you know, from my example, going, well, but the reason why I sort of was liked maths and um you know I, I did like all the subjects that, that I did, like the sort of underlying part of that is I I like being able to see an outcome and be able to sort of build towards that. And you know, outside of that I get a little bit lost. And so it's breaking down that into like the sort of first principles aspect of the learning would be, yeah, again, I don't want to go into solutions because this isn't fully our space, but if I was to break down my understanding of why I feel fulfilled and, you know, you talked about mastery and purpose and all that sort of stuff is because I've sort of gotten down to a really pointy end of what it actually is that gets me out of bed and what I want to become a master at. So yeah, I think it's a hard question because yeah, you it's it, there's it's so many young people. It's a big system, and what I'm talking about is so hyper personalized and and very very fortunate with with you know the circumstances that we had to get to where we are. And so, it is very much about how you can sort of get that to to the masses. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's there's no point in asking easy questions though, is there, Will? And, <laughs> and what you're pointing to there is in that hyper personalization. That's the challenge, isn't it? That's the challenge of how do we facilitate the capacity of individuals in a time and a space when they're ready to do it, to go on that journey to find those anchors. I mean, we would talk about self-awareness and we'd talk about relationship and we'd talk about service and we'd talk about vocation eventually. Saxon, I just cut you off there. You wanted to jump in. I'm just running off what Will was saying. I think it's one of those things that we're witnessing it. It's This isn't something mutually exclusive to, to young people. We're, we witness this now more than ever with, you know, we're both in our third or Will's about to turn 30. I'm in, I'm in my early 30s and I see so many more of my friends now who are completely lost. And these are the ones who have got double degrees or working in industries who have followed that proverbial idea of success and kind of chase their extrinsic um, motivators. You know, they wanted to be able to buy the house. They wanted to be able to do this. They wanted to do this. They, they really flaunted it all. And then they reach this point and they're so incredibly unhappy and, and they're, just, they're, they're just going through the motions. They're, they're kind of surrendering to their own demise now. And it's, it's, it's a terrifying thing. And as Will said, like we are consistently, it's one of those things that, when you align to something that you're you're passionate about and that you're interested in, like I'm, I am not a builder. I, like I, the prop, Will is a is a perfectionist problem solver, but where we actually link up really well is that I really like thinking about the bigger problem and like what potentially could be a solution and how we could actually do that. And that's where Will and I have been able to really build a lot of our relationship around is that. We can actually, we, we know each other's strengths, we know each other's weaknesses and not, neither of us are, are better than each other. We're actually doing it together. And I think that that is something that which is, we've just gone through it and, and, our, and our staff at year 13 experience it. We have a lot of people who come in 
a lot of high achievers who had dropped out of university. We have ones that never that were doing vocational education that have come in to pivot into new industries. And it's, it's that same thing that we don't look at them and say, well, you know, you failed here and, and you need to go back down there and, and, and do all that. But by coming into, a, you know, doing work that they're intrinsically motivated by, that they're actually passionate about, that they get that reward from is so invigorating. And when you can actually, it's not saying, this isn't meant to be philosophical. This is actually something very pragmatic. And it actually has incredible economic return because the more passionate and the more uh, the more productive that people are in, in their work, it, it impacts their life, it impacts their happiness, it impacts so many different areas of their life. You know, Stubbs mentioned that we have gone through a roller coaster of emotions over the past 10 years. And the only way that we were able to get through that is by consistently having to you know problem solve and go through it together and, and actually work through it and reinvent ourselves and put ourselves in, in, in through different challenges so that when we meet these challenges that we experience through business and through personal lives, that we are, we're actually very aware of it. And this is something that can be replicated into education. There, there's, there's no two ways about it. I think, you know, integrating like work, integrated learning is something that has to be brought to the forefront. And if you take a student who may be a really creative thinker and you pair him with the student who, who could be very analytical and you get someone who is very good at English and, and a phenomenal writer, give those, find a common passion there between them, a, a problem in the world that could be solved. I guarantee you, you're going to see three individuals who are going to all rise up in stature. They're going to think differently. They're going to start working differently. They're going to build their characteristics and personal strengths. And that's what I think you know, is one of the reasons why so many people are, are lost. And it because they don't know how to actually identify it. They don't think that that's of value. And I, I think that that is one of the big problems that needs to be corrected. Wow, there's so there's so much in, in in what you're talking about there. I want to draw this together and then maybe draw this week's conversation to a close because we're we're just at the point of talking about your own journey into year thirteen and 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 I think that'd be a great thing to talk about next time. If I put together a lot of the stuff that you guys have been talking about, this journey into self that if we've got anchors along the way that if we're we're hyper personalising, I love that term, um, what we're looking for. And then if we can provide experiences where we're focusing on the whole person and their whole character and integrating the way they learn, they live, they lead, they work. If we can change the context, if we can immerse people in a different place and create safety, ask questions and get them to connect to self, then they might be able to find that intrinsic motivation and then convert it to intrinsic value. And as you said, Saxon, that's a, both a philosophical but also an intensely practical thing. Gentlemen, I've really enjoyed the conversation so far. Should we draw it to a, a pause there and should we pick this up again next week? Sounds good. Sounds good. Thanks, fellas. Thanks, Thanks Dave. Game Changers is a podcast for those who want to change the game of school. Produced by Oliver Cummins for Orbital Productions and powered by a school for tomorrow, Game Changers is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play and SoundCloud. Tell your friends and don't forget to subscribe. Let's go.